Thanks for tuning in to the River Tree Canal Fulton podcast. It is our third week of our series called Multiply, where we're talking about the future of our church and our vision for uh, who we hope to be and how we're going to get there. So, man, we hope you enjoyed this series. Let us know. There's so much about Multiply on our website. Go to our website and check out our vision video on a lot of the things that we're excited about for the future. But here is uh, from the life of Abraham, our third week in the Multiply sermon series. Enjoy. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 13 today. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and read our scripture as we begin. Genesis chapter 13 reads, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, And Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, let us not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zor. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. The word of the Lord. So we are in our third week of Multiply, uh, which is our time to talk about the future of our church and where we sense the Lord leading us and what it's going to mean to join in with that. And so... um, We are really plotting a course where the idea of multiplication is front and center for what we sense God doing. We want the life of Jesus to bear fruit in more and more of us, leading to healthy and fruitful disciples who make disciples everywhere, every day. And with that, uh, we kind of have a primary goal. We we officially are starting Multiply in December, so it's going to be like a 13-month season for our church from December this year to December of 2023. And for the next 13 months, our primary goal is that 100% of us would boldly trust God and follow his lead into a life-changing generosity experience. Like we wanna lead forward with our our faith, um, including like the way we use our time, our energy, our resources to see God do what only he can. And that means this next season is actually primarily not about an amount of money, but about about us being a church that 100% of us are committed to just following the way that God leads. 
uh, in every area of life, and that includes generosity, in ways that change us and that change our church. Uh, but we have set a financial goal, um, and that is that we would trust God to provide $350,000 in 2023 as we sow for a fruitful future at River Tree Canal Fulton. So we're trusting God to provide, but we're also asking what is ours to do in the midst of that. Uh, the visual we've been using is this idea of an orchard. Uh, and we keep coming back to this idea of uh, being healthy, fruitful disciple makers everywhere, every day. We've asked people to kind of put trees on this map and we've got stickers back there. You can do this if you haven't about where they live and work and play. And it's amazing because if you think that God has connected you to Jesus for the sake, not only for your sake, so that you would live, but so that the life of Jesus would be tasted and seen in the places where you are, then God is planting already an orchard of life in the midst of Canal Fulton, that everyone that's connected to Jesus, whether they're a part of our church or not, if they're a part of the kingdom of God, God's divine strategy is to place us in places where his life can be tasted and seen. And that will lead to both health, but also multiplication. Um, we don't wanna just have great Sunday experiences. We want everywhere, every day for this to be the experience of people brushing up against the kingdom of God through the life of his church. And we wanna build for a future where we're intentionally seeking this. That's where we're gonna talk about that today, about how do we not only seek this, but really prioritize a future where there are more and more fruitful, faithful, healthy, multiplying people everywhere in the places we've been placed. Um, and so we wanna think about that as a strategic way to lean into what we sense God desires for our world. That God, and the cross really teaches us this, that Jesus himself was sent to give his life to make a way that the world would be brought to himself. And that we as this church, as his hands and his feet, the reason that we have been grafted into the vine to bear much fruit and just prove to the world that we're his disciples is because when people taste and see a life that has been transformed and changed by Jesus, they will also be extended the same invitation by God to come and to live and to know. And we want our neighbors and our, our households and our schools and our businesses to all be places where the, the kingdom of God and its nearness, that the life of Jesus would be infused with our community. Um, we're breaking down this goal, and I'm just going to do this because I, today I want to sit on the second one of these. The goal is really like three tiers. So there's like our operating budget. We're just calling that multiply here. Like what it means for us to function as a church every year is we function at about $225,000. So that's like what we're already do to be a church now. We want to do that next year because we want to, you know, continue to be a church. But we want to stretch forward and lean forward with the possibility of seeing um, growth and scale and um, change happen. So we want to raise an additional $85,000 to enable our church to grow and stretch to become the church we want to be in the future. And we also want to have an additional 40K that we want to raise so that we can take what God is doing and through partnerships and local and global missions, extend God's vision of life for the entire world through our partnerships. I'm going to talk about that more next week. But today, as we look at the life of Abraham, we're going to sit in this idea of like, what does it mean for us to prioritize a future to where it changes the way we use what God has given? Uh, so I want to recap Abram's journey to this point. Remember, uh, Abram's father had actually led them from, uh, and you'll see on this map, from 
uh, from Ur, which would be in like Iraq, southern Iraq, all the way up to Haran, which would be in like modern day Turkey. And then there God uh, spoke to Abraham and called him and said, I I'm going to give you uh, a future. I will bless you and through you the nations will be blessed. This promise in chapter 12 that he's led him and he leads him all the way down through Canaan, where Israel would be, all the way to Egypt. And then in Egypt, he is now headed back towards the place where he originally had this encounter with God um, in Bethel. And so in Abraham's journey, he has seen this uh, whole process in the whole like coast uh, there looking for the place where God would lead him to give him a place for a future. Uh, and at this point, as we read, Abraham has a lot of stuff with him. He has continued to acquire gold and riches and possessions. He has flocks, he has family, he has people who work for him. So it's this huge traveling caravan like rolling through the countryside there in Canaan towards Egypt and then back. And he has Lot with him who's also pretty wealthy. And in the, the words of Biggie Smalls, more money, more problems, right? He is at a point where they are at a capacity that is uh, more than what they, uh, the land around them can hold. If they show up somewhere, they eat up all the resources. Now, like, I've never had this problem in life where I have so much that I'm just like, well, what are we going to do? Uh, and maybe you're there. Maybe you have been there. God bless. Uh, we'll talk about money. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, like, Abraham's at a point where his blessing is following him around to the point where it's causing him problems. Uh, and so he and Lot have to have a real conversation about what the future looks like. So he says to Lot, he says, let's not keep fighting about this. Our herdsmen are fighting. We're fighting. Uh, the whole land is before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So he's basically giving Lot the choice. I'm like, why would you give Lot the choice? I was reminded this week as uh, I, I had the opportunity to uh, serve with some kids on Friday. Our primary school had... Uh, their Halloween parades, and they had a pumpkin patch. The pumpkin patch was all these, like, probably, like, I don't know, larger than a softball-sized pumpkins. Not huge, but they were just littered all over the basketball court, and the kids would come out, and they'd pick a pumpkin. Uh, and I was, I was funny, because when I got over to the pumpkin patch, I was like, I just am going to crack up and watching these kids come out whose priority is finding the biggest pumpkin. And they're all about the same. Like, there's not a biggest pumpkin. They're almost exactly the same. But they are like, when they hit the ground, they are targeting, where's the biggest one? I'm going to find it. And some of them are literally walking to me. They're like, where's the biggest pumpkin? I'm like, that one. Because they're all the same. I'm like, it's that one. Okay, boom. And they grab it. Because kids kind of get it. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you have kids or grandkids or you've at least been around enough to know that if you were to give them the option between two things that were not the same, they're going to pick the one that, that is the best for them. Think about a piece of cake, a piece of pie, a piece of pizza, pumpkin patch, whatever it is. There's this idea that when we see or we're given a choice and they're not even choices, one is, is obviously not as good as the other, that man, if it's up to me, I'm going to pick that one. And Abraham gives Lot this choice. Lot looks up and saw that the whole plain of Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zor. So Lot chose for himself, he chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. Abraham, Abraham, he gave Lot the choice, and, and Lot's like, well, that looks amazing, and this does not look amazing, so I'm choosing amazing, obviously. So he's like, we're going to go this way. And I think it's, at first, it doesn't surprise me, but also, like, that Abram would 
set him up that way and allow him to choose, there's a part of me that just wonders, like, why would, he's the patriarch, like, he's the guy who got him there. Why would he not be like, guess what, Lot? You're my nephew, so you get the pot I don't want. Here's the land that's not great. I'm gonna take everything that's well watered because I've got all of these sheep and, and livestock and I've got all these people. I'm gonna set myself up for the future. And you can just, you know, you can have what's left. Abram doesn't do that. Instead, he gives Lot the choice. That's a really interesting thing. And I've wrestled with that some this week as I've wrestled through this text. Like, why give Lot the choice? Why risk the future by being like, hey, instead of choosing for myself what's best, instead of me saying, I want the bigger pumpkin, I want the bigger piece of pizza, I want the bigger piece of cake because I need to watch out for me, why, why risk that by giving Lot the choice? And I think it's because even at this point in Abram's story, we see this. Abram was already seeing his present through the lens of promise. Abram was already seeing the present through the lens of promise. To pull from Paul much later in history, his eyes weren't fixed on what was seen, but what was unseen. He had promises from God, and those promises shaped the way that he saw where he was, what he faced, the decisions in front of him. Abram didn't need better land because he had a better promise. So he could risk, quote unquote, giving Lot the choice because Abram's future was not built on Lot's choice, but on God's choice to make a promise to him. Last week, if you missed it, we talked about God's covenantal yes to Abram that he said, this is the future that I am securing for you. You have a role of faithfulness, but it doesn't hinge on Abraham's faithfulness. It hinges on God's faithfulness to do what only he can for his people. And Abram is already starting to see that, that when it comes to the future, what makes it secure, and actually what makes it worth taking risks and steps of faith, is that the future doesn't hinge just on what I see, but on the promise of God to secure what is ahead. It's an incredible thing. Jesus uh, has a similar conversation in his Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 6. Uh, but he's not talking to people like Abram who have like a, a floodgate of wealth behind them that they're just trying to figure out what to do with. He's talking to people who are anxious about their food and their clothes. Um, I think about this a lot because I am fully aware that we are in a moment as a country, as a culture, where the idea of saying, hey, let's lean forward and invest sounds foolish because we're, we're constantly wondering, like things feel tighter than they ever have before. Uh, trust me, our family is wrestling with what it means to be faithful in this moment, with our own finances, with our own time and energy and resources. Jesus, as he teaches the crowd in the Sermon of the Mount, he says, why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Like, how do we secure the future we long for? As individuals, as families, as a church, like, how do we, how do we set it up where we are, have sure footing for where we're headed? Like, is it up to us? And you hear in Jesus, the echoes of the story of Abram, that there's a reality about God who reigns in his kingdom that is bigger than what we see. Whether we have the floodgates of wealth or are literally wondering where our next meal will come from. That there's something that is truer than what we see and it is the kingdom of God and the fact that Jesus is Lord and that he reigns over all. How do we contend for a future that looks more like heaven if we don't have what we need? Well, part of it, he says, you have what you need because you have me. You have what you need for the future you're headed into because you have me. You have the Lord. You have Jesus, the one who secures the promise of God for the people. Paul says, and we read this in our first week in Multiply, that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus to which we say amen. The reality is that God is taking care of his people actively all the time. And I know you, and I've sat down with many of you and heard your stories of the way that God has provided and taken care of you in seasons of plenty and in seasons of want. And let's be honest, faithfulness is not a seasonal option where if I'm Abraham and I have all the sheep and gold, then I will be faithful, God. But when I don't, then... Sorry, you're barking up the wrong tree, Jesus. In every season, we have stories of God's faithfulness because God is the one who keeps his promises to his people. He says to me, seek first his kingdom and everything else will be added. It's, it's not that um, things magically appear when you seek God's kingdom. It's that when you prioritize the kingdom of God, it puts everything else in its place in a way that brings peace and comfort and actually gives us courage to follow in faith. Jeremy Treat in his book, Seek First, just says, find what matters most and build your life around it. That's what Jesus is really saying here. Find what matters most and build your life around it. And that's, that's the reality of the call of the people of God is once we discover as Jesus would say in his parables, this, this pearl of great price hidden in a field, this treasure, we find the thing that is most valuable. We, we give ourselves a way to prioritize this one thing because it's the one thing that puts everything in its place. It's the one thing that enables us to live courageously by faith because it is secure and it's secure because of God, not necessarily because of us. And that's the thing. Like most of us, our lives are built around what we prioritize, what we say matters. Uh, and I know this because when I look at my calendar, my calendar tells me what matters in my life. My budget, you look at my budget, you can see what matters in my life. You look at the way I use my time and my energies and my resources, my relationships, you'll see what matters. This is not a surprise to any of us. And most of us agree with the principle that nothing matters more than Jesus and his kingdom. We do deeply long for God's reign to be seen in our world. But like seeking it and wanting it are two different things. Like knowing that God gave you a promise and prioritizing that promise. Building your life around that promise. That is two very different choices. 
Dallas Willard was once asked, so how do you seek first the kingdom of God? His response was, you try to find out what God is doing and you get involved with it. How do you seek first the kingdom? You find out what God is doing and you get involved in it. This is why one of the core practices of our church is joining Jesus and where he is at work in our world. Like that's what it means to seek first the kingdom is we believe that God is doing things and the way that we prioritize that we seek first the kingdom is that we use our time, our energy, and our resources to discern where God is at work so that we can join him. When we prioritize the kingdom, we leverage our time and energy and resources to join Jesus in the real world. And that means that we believe that God is at work in the real world, that we're not basically, we didn't receive salvation and we're just sitting back and hanging on and waiting for Jesus to come back and so we can have pie in the sky when we die. That we believe that the kingdom of God is to transform us and our households, in our neighborhoods, in our businesses, in the places we hang out, in our schools. It's to be transformative. It is to make earth look more like heaven. That's why we pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done here as it is in heaven. And I want to share some stories about where I see this already happening because I think these are the first fruits of multiplication around us. See, when we we put this map up and we talk about um, orchards, the assumption is that anywhere there's a tree, there's a possibility for an orchard. Like if there's one tree, there's a future there in every apple because they're full of seeds and seeds are full of the future. And healthy things produce, like healthy trees produce apples. Healthy apple trees anyway. That'd be weird if it was like a, I don't know, some other tree. Healthy trees produce a future. And if God puts us somewhere and he connects us to himself so that we would be healthy and transformed, it's not just for us, it is for the sake of the future. That salvation is meant to be virile. Like it is meant to be life-inducing. That it begets more life in the world. It's part of the design of God. A couple ways that I'm seeing this in our church right now. One, uh, some of you know that we have a discipleship cohort that meets about every other week uh, in the fall and the spring. So right now we've got 15-ish people who are coming. And the premise of this is one, that, that everyone is designed by God to be a disciple maker where they are. And so these 15 people one of the first things we do is we're like, hey, you can't disciple everyone. I want you to find 12 people and I want you to be intentional with them. Just be intentional in spending time with them and doing our core rhythms of blessing them and eating with them, learning Jesus with them, you know, joining Jesus where you see him at work. Let's be intentional and see what happens. And the stories that are starting to come out of this group are incredible. But one of the things that I love in a very simple way is that I've got 15 people who are focusing on 12 people that's a hundred and what? 180 people? I'm not a great math person. That's 180 people. That's more people getting intentional focus for the sake of Jesus doing something than we have in a, a room like this on a Sunday morning. 15 people intentionally giving their life away on purpose is having a greater reach than what we're doing right now. And it's not that Sunday mornings don't matter. Please don't hear me say that. I love, and the gathering of the church is so important. But when God wants to plant an orchard, he's not just gonna bring all his trees together and say everything that matters matters here. He's gonna spread us out and have us be intentional with the places and the people that we are. 
And I love this because every time we come together, I'm hearing stories about what God might be doing. And we're asking that question, what is God doing and how do we join him in that? And it's happening with teenagers and it's happening with neighbors and it's happening with, like, I just, I love it because every time I come in, the possibilities of, of what God could do and the reality that God is at work around us in ways that I will never see because I'm not you, but you could see because you're connected to the people that God has planted you among. It's incredible. Another area, student ministry. Uh, churches our size don't have student ministries. Or if they do, it's all volunteer and it's all, it, it is a, uh, it's birthed out of necessary, I can't even say it, necessity. That's the word. It's out of necessity, not necessarily vision. But we, we want to be a church of vision that's looking forward. And like this little clump over here, those are our schools. And we have not only students who know Jesus, so who are these trees and those four buildings every day, but also parents and teachers and other volunteers who part of the way that God has set them up in the world is to sow and be fruitful right here. And so we believe that the best disciples makers we have might be 11, 12, 13 that the best leaders of our church don't know Jesus yet, and we want to be the ones who are joining Jesus where he's at work there. And as we brought Adam on, it's not because we have this huge student capacity and we need a leader. It's because we see that coming, and we want to lead into it. We want to lead in the place where we are making room for families, for kids and students to have spaces, not just better classrooms or better events, but in the midst of it, people who are working those places like a worker who's not waiting for a harvest but sees that the harvest is here and the problem is we need workers. See, when Jesus says that, that the problem's not harvest, the problem's workers, we don't need a, a silver bullet to solve our problems. What we need is people who are like, God's put me here on purpose and I'm gonna prioritize that with what I have and who I am and what I do and what I do with my relationships and what I do with my calendar and what I do with my resources that if there's a future that God is bringing, then I'm gonna put it at the center of my yeses and focus and ask the question, okay, God, what does it mean for me to follow you here? Um, this little clump over here is one of my favorite clumps and that's because that's the one in my neighborhood. There's a bunch of people in my neighborhood and we're trying to get a village off the ground. A village is just a group of people who are trying to live fruitful, faithful lives together for the sake of the place that they are, a particular neighborhood or network. And you know Halloween's tomorrow and what I'm most excited about is all the neighbors who I don't know, but Jesus does, walking around. I'm excited about seeing the faces and the people as I'm praying and asking God, what does it mean? Where are you at work here and how can we join him? And have a few other people around who are asking the same things and saying, God, what does it mean for us to be faithful in these places? You know why? Because God's ahead of us. God loves and has given himself for our neighbors and, and we're in a point where if we prioritize what God might be doing, we can see something that we've never seen before. But it takes us with our time and our energy and our resources to put first what God might be doing and to lean into that future. That's why we have a goal that's bigger than just operating. That idea of like, we could raise our operating budget and we hope to do that, but we wanna lean forward is because I don't see operating 
as being able to hold the weight of what God might have in front of us. So we wanna lead forward in faith. That idea of raising an extra $85,000, whether it, it be in staffing, in, in scale, in systems, and all of the things that we will need to grow to raise up leaders, to train and equip people to be missionaries where they've been placed. It's because we believe, not just in what we see, but what is unseen that God has promised that the harvest is white and that the problem is workers and that God has called us here to be people who join him in what he's doing because a great harvest will rot on the vine if people don't get out and pick it up. That's the church we are called to be. And these aren't just about better numbers. These are about real people and real stories. I wanna share this video with you of one story of one person who's, Life has been transformed because Jesus found them through the willing welcome of this church. Let's watch this together. Hi, I'm Patrick Swafford. I've been a part of the River Tree family for about three Three and a half years. I came to River Tree Canal Fulton um, with people that I knew previously that were members of the River Tree family. Um, I fought going to church. I grew up in a uh, church family in Alabama and stepped away from church for so long and resisted the idea of actually coming to a church. So in a very tongue-in-cheek way, I was dragged into River Tree Canal Fulton kicking and screaming, and within a few visits, it became a family that I didn't know that I needed and didn't know that I had. God has put people in my life that have been able to challenge me to grow in so many ways through our church family, not only in terms of like my own spiritual growth, but also my generosity not only with my time, but financially. My daughter and I have a have people here that we love and we trust. And for my daughter being seven and still just now learning about Jesus and learning about God's kingdom, there are people here that she trusts and she learns from and she's growing day by day in those mm -hmm. teachings, and it's just been a blessing from top to bottom. I see River Tree Canal Fold as a great investment of everything uh, because I found home here. I, it was a home I didn't know I needed and didn't know I wanted because I was so far removed from being a part of a church family, being a part of God's family, even though I never strayed away from my beliefs in God. Being here makes me want to invest everything because they've invested so much in me when they didn't have to. I was just someone that they had never met and they cared instantly and that's never stopped. I think the thing about the future of River Tree and, and this concept of multiply that excites me so much is that we have an eye toward the future. It's not just in the here and now, it's 
becoming, what can we grow to be in the next year, two years, and beyond? Uh, it's the energy that surrounds that. It's the enthusiasm that surrounds that. And it's just a collective, you know, a, a collective feeling in that. And it's, for me, it's also the challenge and the willingness to go into our community and grow there because I've always felt like the church is supposed to be an extension of the community it represents and that's what we stand for here. And it's the fact that we are putting our cards on the table and saying this is what we're committing to that I'm extremely excited about and I can't wait to see what we do and what we accomplish. Patrick, thanks for your story. And if you know Patrick, you know um, that God is doing an incredible work in him, but that the parallels to his story are not just, uh, not just in the possibilities, but the place where God met him. And there are people in our community every day that we rub elbows with who are, are the before side of Patrick, who, who needed a home and didn't know they needed it. And that home isn't just the church. The home is, is, is Christ and the family of God. And God sends his family out so that people can taste and see and experience what life was intended to be through a church that is, that is the sample of the coming kingdom. And that's what we're fighting for and longing for and leaning into and saying, you know, Regardless of the number, if every one of us prioritizes this future, if we use our time and our energy and our resources to say, God, where are you at work? How can we follow you into that? Um, we'll see something we've never seen before because we're in a moment we've never been in before and God is ahead of us. He's ahead of us, not asking us to create a future, but to join him in it. And that happens as we seek first the kingdom. I think about Abram and his story in chapter 13, and I love that after he gives Lot the land and Lot heads into what looks like the promised land and leaves Abram the leftovers, God immediately comes to him and reminds him of his promise. He says, I want you to look north, south, east, west, go explore it. Your, your descendants are gonna be as numerous as the dust on the ground if you could count it. And I'm gonna secure this for you. See, the beautiful thing about God is when he calls us to make steps of faith, and even when we face a future by looking at the present and saying, I don't, I don't know if this is possible, God. <laughs> like, I, I have the leftovers here. God, I, I don't have the uh, wealth of Abram. We're just sitting here being like, God, I have what I have. I am what I am. What are, how are you gonna do this? That he doesn't leave us saying, figure it out. He says, I'm gonna meet you with the promise that I've given you and just remind you that what you see isn't all that there is. It's why the church always comes back to the table of Jesus. I'm gonna invite Brian to come up um, and just give us a little bit of instrumental time to reflect as we go to the table. The beautiful thing about God and the way that we lift up the bread and the cup, we lift those up not because there's anything magical about them, but because they are the real-time prophetic announcement of the promise of God. 
that in Jesus Christ, we have everything we need for life and godliness. And as we come by faith and follow him, that everything that we need, he provides, like the bread, like the cup. His provision is himself. And we don't stand like Abraham, looking at a land that's lacking and saying, God, what are you going to do? We stand alongside the cross, knowing what God has already done for us in Jesus. That when we were sinners, Christ died for us. That when we were in our most desperate need, God himself stepped out of heaven and into our world and gave himself that none would perish, but all come to him. That all would have eternal life. And that that is not a promise just for me to get to heaven, but it's a promise where it meets me now where I am, where the promise of God that he will be with me and for me and guide me into his future where all things are made new, that I will experience that and actually join him as a co-laborer in that harvest. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what he's done. Which is good news because some of us, as we hear and even dream and dare to dream, say, God, is there any way I can participate in this? Like, I, I know me, and I'm not that. Like, I'm happy to, to, to cheer, cheer it on and to give a little bit. But I'm gonna be honest, like, the real, the real future we wanna live into is not just where we give a little bit more, but it's where all of us will say, if it's possible for me to be that in my world, then here I am. And I don't want to just believe it. I want to prioritize it. I want to make my time a place where, God, your will is done in me. With my energy, with my calendar, with my relationships, and yes, with my finances, whatever it takes, God, if you show me what faithfulness is, have your way. And the beauty is, as we come to the table, we're reminded that we're not doing that, stepping out, like living on a prayer, like Bon Jovi, we instead are standing on the full confidence of God and what he's done for us in Christ. And because Christ has raised, we know the future has already begun. And we're in a place where we just say, God, okay, your future is breaking in. Let it break in in me and in my world and show me what it takes to take that next step and I'll make it. So my prayer as we come to the table today is really simple. If there is a part of you that's like, hey, um, Seeking first the kingdom, prioritizing what God might be doing in me for the sake of the world is something I want in this next year. But it kind of scares me because he might ask more of me. He might ask me to reshape my time, my relationships, my calendar, my budget. I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit would meet you with the promise of Jesus this morning, that he is enough, that as he follow, as we follow him, we find that he is the one who is faithful and he is the one who will bring his future into the present so that we can just simply say, okay, God, what's, what's mine to do? And how can I prioritize and seek first your kingdom here? So let's take a moment and let's just bow our heads. And um, I just want to ask the question, um, as you look at your world, like, what do you see? Who do you see? Where are the places where, um, man, it would be good news for God to plant a tree right there that gives life, bears witness, 
that would bring transformation. Maybe it's right in your own house. You're like, God, my house needs life, the life of Jesus to transform it. Maybe there's a particular neighbor or connection that you know where you're just like, oh, Lord. Like they're kind of in that place, kind of like Patrick. They don't even know what they don't have, but God, if you would just meet them, their life would be changed and transformed. Pray for that person right now. Maybe there's people you work with where you're like, God, oh man, if your life could just change the environment of where I live, I work. Some of the people I work with. Or maybe it's like at a ball field or at the speakeasy or in some other place where you spend time and you're like, God, the people here, they need you. Pray for them and then ask the question, what does that mean for me? And how can I seek you first? If you have your communion elements, you can go ahead and get them ready. On the night where Jesus sat with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body that's broken for you. We take this as God's promise that he has given himself to us and he gives himself to us even now. Let us take and eat in remembrance of him. You can also take your cup. He took a cup, he lifted it up. He said, this is the cup of a new covenant that's a new promise made to you in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of me. So let us take and drink. Lord, like Abram, we wanna be a people who don't see our world without seeing it through the lens of your promise. That you are enough, that you provide what we need both for now and for the future, but you also call us to follow you into it. Lord, we lift up our families and our friends, our coworkers, the people right now, if, if, if we were just to make a list and say, these are the people that we would long to see connect to you, that we would name instantly. Lord, we pray for them right now, that your spirit would go before us and unveil their hearts and open their eyes and that you would give us opportunities to be the good news and to announce the good news, to share the work of Jesus and the life that you give. Lord, we pray for our church that you would help us, not just as individuals, but even in the way that we build the future, that we would prioritize the multiplication of healthy, fruitful disciple makers in ways that enables and equips and releases people to be good news in every place you've placed us. We pray for the leaders of this church that are yet to believe, for the kids who will come through our church, Lord, that you would sow into them and send them out in ways that we could only imagine. We want them to follow Jesus more faithfully than we ever have. Lord, God, bring that future. And Lord, we pray, um, that you make our next steps clear and that this next season would be just a way of us setting a foundation and a course to prioritize, to give you our first and our best in every way. We pray this in the name of Christ, amen.